Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Have you ever accomplished a big goal? I don't know, maybe a financial goal, maybe like paying off a, maybe like paying off a big debt, like a student loan, like one that you repay yourself. Uh, or, or maybe, uh, maybe your mortgage or something along those lines. Everybody's afraid to laugh about that last one. Uh, it's like, can we laugh about that? I don't know. Um, maybe a physical goal. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've, uh, you know, ran a 5K or a marathon or something like that. Maybe, uh, maybe an academic goal. You uh, graduated from college or graduate school or even high school or uh, maybe uh, maybe the end of the semester here, the, the goal was just passing the semester and you think, man, I, that was my goal was to get through that semester and maybe you did, did that this year. Or maybe a spiritual goal. Hopefully uh, you started a Bible reading plan back in January of 2022 and, and you, didn't let it go to, you didn't let it die when you got to Leviticus. And so you're still, uh, you're still plugging away with that Bible reading plan and you're close to the end and you'll be able to say, you know, I finished the, uh, I finished the Bible this year and uh, you get to start all over again. So, so maybe that's a goal you've accomplished or maybe going on a mission trip or something like that. Uh, as we are this, this is kind of the last... Uh, kind of the last real Sunday before 2023 because uh, next week's Christmas and so everybody's going to be, you know, minds are going to be elsewhere. And so this is kind of our last normal Sunday before 2023. And so I want to take some time this morning to maybe think about goals and accomplishments because we know when we accomplish those goals, it gives us a sense of pride, self-worth, not not sinful pride, not, uh, not pride about look what I can do, look what I've done, but, but the kind of pride that comes when we acknowledge the one that allows us to accomplish our goals and meet those objectives. But in order to accomplish goals, the very first step in accomplishing a goal is what? Setting it. Okay, you don't get to, you don't get to do something and then say, oh man, I met that goal if you didn't really start the goal to begin with. And so that, that's not a goal, that's not accomplishing a goal, that's just happenstance. And so the first step in accomplishing a goal is, is setting a goal. And today I wanna talk about this in the context of Joshua chapter 22. We, we've been working through the book of Joshua. We fast forward it a lot because the middle part of Joshua is, uh, I want you guys to come back next Sunday, I'll just say that. And uh, if I try to tackle preaching the middle part of Joshua, some of you guys might, uh, might rather go to the probate court and just read property tax records than, uh, than hear me try to preach the middle of Joshua because it is just a lot of markers and boundaries and those sort of things. Um, and so I wanna look at that. Now, just again, we will meet for worship next Sunday, not because it's Christmas, but because it's Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday is because it's the Lord's Day. Uh, but today we're going to kind of just pause on the Christmas thing and again think maybe just a, a, a tad bit into the new year. Uh, and as we draw near the book of Joshua, we're getting close to the end here, we understand some things have happened. The land has been completely divided over the course of the last 10 or 11 chapters. This process has taken place. The, the land, the, the, the people who live there have mostly been subdued. Still some pockets of resistance, but it's widespread enough that the thought is that the individual tribes can deal with it. Generally speaking, the bulk of the work that was started in Joshua chapter one has been finished. 
And in fulfillment to the promise that Joshua made back in the very first chapter, it's time for the eastern tribes to return home. So if you're in Joshua 22, I'd invite you to stand with me as I read from Joshua 22, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to them and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers." So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the uh, faithfulness of these tribes that we've talked about already. I pray, Father, that you might help us to glean some things from their faithfulness in our own walk with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> if you remember from back in Joshua chapter 1, many months ago, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and part of Manasseh had a very important choice to make. We talked about them all the way back in August. These tribes wanted their inheritance to be on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. They were livestock farmers, and they felt like the eastern land was better suited for what they did for a living, for, uh, for their contribution to the nation. So Moses looked at the situation. He promised that that land would be their inheritance. And Joshua, of course, reaffirms this promise. But in order for them to receive this promise, they also had to meet some expectations. These tribes had to send their armies across the Jordan River with the rest of the nation. In fact, we're told back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 14, that they weren't just to go with the nation, that they were actually to be the tip of the spear. They were to be the leading, uh, the leading group in that offensive, and they were glad to do it. And so now some years have passed. Uh, they, they've been silent. We've not had any moment where we've, we've seen these tribes uh, you know, stand out for anything. So what we know is that they've been silently fighting alongside their brothers. They've been doing what Joshua's asked them to do. They've... They've done whatever was necessary to see God's plan carried out. Now, all that's finished. And Joshua informs the fighting men of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, it's time to go home. Mission accomplished. You're, you're free. What a day that must have been for them to say, you know, we've, we've done everything God's asked us to do, and, 
and to be free, to be able to go back to the land, to go back to their family. They haven't seen their families. Their families have been left on the other side of the Jordan River. They, I mean, this has been a journey for them, and then they're, but they have fought and been faithful every step of the way, and now they're free to go back home. But Joshua's a good leader. He doesn't just turn them loose. He wants to take some time to, to challenge them as they go because Joshua's all too aware of our human tendency. And we all understand this, that there is a potential within us for both good and for evil. And so Joshua recognizes that, and he wants to take some time to challenge these tribes. And he knows that there's a very physical barrier between them and the rest of the nation called the Jordan River. And so this is almost the last chance Joshua has to speak to these men, these fighting men, these leaders from the tribes of the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so what is it Joshua has to say to them that he actually has to say to us as well that we glean from these first few chapters of Joshua chapter 22? And the first thing is this. Faithfulness ought to be commended. Faithfulness ought to be commended. These men are perhaps some of the most unsung heroes in the Old Testament. They fight, they serve, they give, they do everything that they're supposed to do, but nobody gets called out for any individual act of heroism or faithfulness. We know they fight. We know they had stories of the fights. But those individual stories are lost in the bigger story that we get in the book of Joshua as a whole. And we know that they fight. They don't fight just for their own, but they, they fight for the sake of the nation. They fight for the sake of their brothers. And they fight, and I think this is something that, that we need to constantly remember, that, that these men go to war knowing that they may not make it home to their families, which is something that's often lost, that, that when somebody signs up to join military forces, they, they enlist knowing that they may not make it home from their deployment. The same is true for these tribes in Israel. And we have heroes like that today. Their, their story goes largely untold. But here Joshua praises them for their faithfulness. They stood by their brothers. They were obedient to the command of the Lord. And again, if, if, if somebody can say that about you, those are good marks. If somebody can look at you at the end of your life or look at you at a, at a significant moment in your life and say, say you stood by my side. You were, my, you were a faithful friend through whatever crisis or trial we've been through. You were obedient to the Lord. I'll take that. I mean, if, if I die and, and the only thing somebody can say is that I stood by faithfully and I was obedient to the Lord, man, that's a, that's a, those are high marks. Those are, those, are, those are good things to hear about somebody. Because again, these are virtues in the Christian life as well. It is virtuous for us as Christians to stand by our brothers and sisters in Christ and fight with them. It is virtuous. Now, again, we don't face battles like they face in Joshua. We face different kind of battles. The New Testament even tells us that our battles aren't against flesh and blood, that our battles are often spiritual in nature. But it's good for us to stand beside our brothers and sisters to help them fight their battles. And, of course, it's virtuous for us as followers of Jesus to do what God says. Those are good things. Those are noble things. You know, I know we as preachers, we tend to do a good job of beating people up, like not like Foster and Jacob were going to earlier over the microphone, not like that. But sometimes we, uh, sometimes we, 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 rough, we rough up folks in, during our preaching. And, and uh, I want you to know, though, that, that not everything that comes out of the preacher's mouth has to be, uh, has to be a, 
uh, an attack on somebody. Sometimes it's good for us to affirm things as well. Uh, it's good for us to talk about stories of faithfulness that we see from time to time from God's people. For example, this week, um, we as a church lost somebody who's a long-term deacon, a long-time deacon of our church. Been a faithful deacon for longer than some of y'all been alive. Um, for the last several years, Butch was somebody that struggled with a lung condition. And so for that reason, he's not been here. And some of y'all may not even know Butch. Uh, he was one of those people for whom the threat of COVID was really a real risk. Uh, you know, there's some that it wasn't, but there's some people that if they caught COVID, it would have been a, a, a really significant illness. Uh, so he's been absent from our body for some time, and it's been really hard for him to be gone from our body for this long. But I'm going to tell you something. Every month, and sometimes he'd drive me crazy about this, I won't lie, uh, every month, beginning of the month, if we didn't get the birthday list to him on time, the phone would ring. And... Uh, because we publish a newsletter the first of every month. And the first of every month is loose because that could be any time between the first and the fifth, depending on where weekends fall. But if you got a birthday during the first of the month, he wanted to know it. How many of y'all got a birthday card or anniversary card from Butch Berry over the last several years? Isn't that something? Couldn't be here. Couldn't be here. Couldn't continue the public ministry because it would be unwise but he continued a very important ministry that, uh, that carried on that an overwhelming majority of people in our church benefited from. Again, that's just one example of faithfulness in a hard situation. I've had the privilege as a pastor of delivering gifts uh, from anonymous donors to people who were going through hard times. Not looking for praise, not looking for credit, not looking for a tax write-off but just somebody who says, hey, I know so-and-so is going through a difficult time. Will you deliver this check to them? Or will you deliver this cash to them? Or you, will you take this to them on my behalf? I want you to know what a treat it is to, I'll carry those secrets to my grave. And uh, what, a, what a delight it is to, to have those stories that I can cherish in my heart. I think about the countless people in our church who, who've helped scholarship students to go to camp or offered to pay for kids to play soccer in our soccer program. Again, just countless people who've contributed to benefit the, the, the spiritual growth and life of, of other people. I think about the unsung heroes of church ministry, people that are back in the church nursery right now taking care of your young ones. I think of Sunday school teachers that don't often get credit. And then the whole host of volunteers, youth workers, children's church teachers, choir members, you go down the list of people who faithfully give of their time week in and week out in service to the Lord through our local church. All these people are right there standing beside our brothers and sisters helping to complete the task that God has given to them. I think about this group sitting up here in the balcony. I can't see them because the lights are in my face. Um, I mean, I think some of these people up here have been some of the most faithful folks in our church over the last three years. Um, they've been here when nobody else could be here. They've been here making sure that, that at some capacity there was worship and preaching taking place in this sanctuary every single Sunday over the last three years with the exception of one. Um, they've worked longer. They've learned new skills. And they never get any credit for it when it works. The only time they get credit for it is when it doesn't work. Isn't that something? We don't even notice it until it doesn't work. And then they're the worst guys in the room because, uh, because of it. It just doesn't make sense. 
And I'll say this, just as a word of affirmation for you gentlemen and, and ladies in the booth, almost every single new person that walks in the door of our church first encounters our church through the ministry of these people that are serving in the balcony every single Sunday. And that is the testimony that I hear over and over and over and over again. Again, it's not glamorous. The pay is terrible. But the benefits are unimaginable. Again, like Joshua, I want to commend you for your faithfulness, for doing what God requires from you, for, for lending your hand to the work that needs to be done. But I love the fact that Joshua doesn't just say, good job, boys, go back home. He's got some instruction for him. He's got some challenge for him as well. Because the fact of the matter is, is that even the most faithful people need to be challenged from time to time. And so what does he do? He, he, he reminds us that fruitfulness needs to be cultivated. He gives a four-part challenge to these tribes. And he reminds these tribes of a very important premise. Past faithfulness is not enough to guarantee future obedience. Past faithfulness is not enough to guarantee future obedience. And so Joshua then gives them some commands to help ensure future obedience. And the first thing he says here is to love the Lord your God. That sounds simple enough. I mean, it's not controversial at all, is it, for the pastor to say, you know what, you ought to love the Lord. And nobody's going to say, can you believe what he said? He said, we ought to love the Lord. But it really matters here. What does this mean to, to love the Lord? This, this refers to our emotional devotion. Following the Lord is, is an intellectual act. I mean, it requires some, some intellect for us to understand the things of God. We, we don't read the Bible without having some knowledge about the things of God. Uh, you know, you, you, you learn as you go. There's, there's, there's intellectual things that, that go into walking with the Lord. We're told to love our Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there is a, a mental engagement that ought to come with our connection to God. But here we're talking not about the intellectual, but more that emotional component. Now, this doesn't mean that walking with Jesus means that you're all weepy and crying all the time. Now, if you're a weepy crier, that's okay. Um, you know, I, I'll cry at movies that, 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 are, that, that, that get you. And, uh, and, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to, to have that emotional sort of side. But, but walking with God means that there ought to be some emotional connection, which means that, that we don't just recognize that Jesus doesn't just get our mind, but that he also gets our hearts as well. There's a lot of people who have an intellectual appreciation for the things of God, but they live their lives like practical atheists because there's no emotional devotion to the Lord. You might need to say it this way, that loving the things of God is no substitute for loving the person of Christ. And I think that's what we're, we're being challenged here is that we ought to love God. There ought to be an emotional connection in our walk with Christ. The second statement that he makes here is that they are to walk in all of his ways. This means that we ought to live as God wants for us to live. Again, it's not controversial. This is not, a, this is not something that should make us say, I can't believe it says that. This is, this is understood, that we ought to live in a way that God wants us to live. But what this does mean, and this is where this starts to root around a little bit, it means that our devotion to God extends beyond the worship service. 
It's easy to love God here because you're around other people who love God. You're, you're singing songs that are about loving God. You're, you're hearing from God's word. All of the, it makes it very easy to love God within the confines of this space. If you walk back in the nursery, it's a little harder to love God back there, but it's possible still. But, but this means that, that beyond the, the doors of this building, beyond the, the, the boundaries of this campus, that our devotion to God goes beyond that. It means that we, we honor God with the choices that we make and the company that we keep. It also means that our life ought to be oriented in such a way that people understand something about God's expectations based on how we live and order our life. There ought to be a difference in between us and the non-believer. There ought to be a, a defined difference between how we go about our lives and how a non-believer goes about theirs. The third instruction here is to keep his commandments, and I love this word, cling to him. Uh, again, what is he talking about here? This, this gets to the, the biblical aspect of our faith. What this means is that there is, a, there is a standard by which we order our lives. It's not just something that we, we make up as we go. There is a standard to how we go about our lives. We don't do our lives just based on what our emotions say or what feels good to us. We don't base our lives based on relative truth and, and, and loose ideas. There is a standard that God has given to us that he has revealed to us in his word. He has laid out his expectations to us in his word, and he expects that we would live by that standard. Again, what I'm saying is that God wants you to order your life based on biblical principles, not controversial at all. should be very straightforward, but it's good for us to hear this again and again. And he goes on to talk about the fact that we are to cling. We are to cling. That's an interesting word, to cling. I think about things like the, the little window stickers that cling to the window. You know, they, they, they work like stickers, but you can peel them off. They, they cling based on physical principles. But here we're talking about clinging, and this is a word that's used often in the New Testament. Paul uses it to the Thessalonians a lot. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, he said, test everything, hold fast, cling to what is good. That means it's sticky. That means that, that those good things are sticky things that, that you don't want to get away from. They're, they're connected to you. They're, they're hard to remove. He says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, he says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. There's that idea again, cling to the traditions. Where did those traditions come from? They were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. For Paul, this, this converts into the words of God, the scriptures. We, we hold fast to the scriptures. They, it's clingy to us. As Christians, as people who love Jesus, who, who are saved by Jesus, the word of God becomes a, a sticky part of, of our character. It becomes a sticky part of our life. That means that, that when we are, are facing a decision, there's this sticky thing that's going with us, the word of God, because we're clinging to it. It influences how we decide. It influences how we act. It influences what we do. It influences the words that we speak, the decisions that we make, because it is clingy. We are clinging to it. It is stuck in that way. But then the last thing he says, to serve him with all your heart and soul. The word serve here has actually two meanings. There's a meaning that goes along with, with worship, but there's also a meaning that goes along with, with action. Serving is, uh, you know, you would think about a priest serving in the tabernacle or, or serving in the temple. They are, they are worshiping, 
But the, the worship in the Old Testament was not just a, it wasn't just singing songs. It wasn't just listening to words. The worship in the Old Testament, there was activity that went along with it. We've lost some of that activity, and it's probably for the best. I mean, y'all really don't want to participate in the activity of Old Testament worship. Uh, otherwise, the carpet up here might get a little nastier than it is right now, okay? You don't, want to, you don't want that action in the worship service, and the good news is Jesus paid the sacrifice for us. We don't have to do that anymore. That's been settled. Just as Jacob taught the kids, that propitiation has already been taken care of. That sacrifice has been made. But the idea is still there, that serving God requires both our worship and our activity, and, and I would say that those are essential aspects of our Christian experience, both our worship and our action. Those are essential parts of our, of our Christian life, our worship and our action. And hear me in this. A Christian who doesn't worship is as much of a concern as a Christian who doesn't serve. A Christian who doesn't worship is as much of a concern as a Christian who doesn't serve. And I think the inverse of that is also true. Somebody who's a worshiper but not a server, that's inconsistent. It doesn't reflect the reality of what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. A, a Christian who doesn't serve is as, is as much of a concern as a Christian who doesn't worship. What's that like? For a Christian to be a worshiper but not a server, or to be a server and not a worshiper, it's like a husband who never kisses his wife or gives her gifts or serves her or tells her that he loves her. I mean, you may be a husband in title, but in action, what are you? It doesn't, it doesn't bear out in, in action. It's like a mother who, who holds her children uh, and loves her children but is never there for her children. Again, it, it doesn't bear itself out. There's an inconsistency that, that's there in, in that regard. What does this mean when you're, when you're a Christian who, who is not a worshiper and you serve, or you're a Christian who's, who's a server but doesn't worship? It's like a, it's an indicator light. Don't you hate when that little light comes on in your dashboard? You know, the, you know there's something brewing there. You know the little check engine light comes on. It always comes on in the worst times. And you know that that little light is there, and how many of us see that little light and we just keep on driving? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, oh, that light's on again. You listen, the car runs fine, but, but uh, you're, just, you're almost afraid to go to the, get the code red because you're afraid of what they're going to say. That little light just tells you there's something wrong. Something's out of sorts. There's a, there's a problem that's brewing. And this is what this is. When we, when we say we're Christians but we're not Christians who worship, this is an indicator light. And I really, I mean, again, I'm deeply worried about what the church has become over the last three or four years where there's a whole lot of Christians who simply checked out a church. A whole lot of people that in 2019 were, were worshiping, but here we are on the cusp of 2023 and we can't find them anywhere. And that's a, again, I'm not saying they're not Christians, but there's, a, there's an indicator light that's there that's warning us that something's not quite right. What is it? Well, that's above our pay grade, but it's a warning that's there for us. <clears throat> so Joshua gives them these challenges, but then he also blesses them for their future. I love these tribes. They are, they are sent home not empty-handed. 
They are sent home with their hands full of the blessing and the abundance of God's promises. They are sent home bearing the spoils of conquest. They are sent home well off. But they're not sent home without a task. They still have work to do because they're still part of the nation. They're still under the covenant of Abraham. They're still supposed to be a blessing to the nations. God still expected them to be a light to the Gentiles. So yeah, they go home. They share their wealth. They share their abundance with their families and those who stayed behind. But they go home with a greater sense of purpose and calling because they have been beneficiaries of God's promises. They've accomplished a major mission, but the mission is far from finished. And it's here if I can challenge us on a few points I'd like to. I'm afraid that the last three years of dealing with COVID has taken its toll, not just in our church, but in the church as a whole. Of course, we've welcomed new families, but like every other church, we know that there's those who created new habits during the first four months of the lockdowns, and those habits stuck. I think we all know people, they don't answer phone calls, they don't reply to emails or text messages. Those people certainly grieve us. And I think about even as a church how our financial health as a body has, has been maintained, and for that we're ever grateful. But I fear that we've grown so accustomed to what we're not supposed to do that we've truly lost sight of what we're supposed to do. You know, I mean, I think about all the things. You're not supposed to do that anymore. You know, you're not supposed to, to go to the hospital. You're not supposed to do these things. And, and that's great. No, it's not great. It's, it's reality. But in light of all that, we still need to be doing the things that, that God's asked us to do. In just a few minutes, we're going to ask our church members here to approve a budget for 2023. You look at it, it's very close to last year's budget or this year's budget, I guess. It increased primarily because we're all dealing with an inflationary situation, 6 to 8% inflation. But we understand that a budget is a tool. And I can have all the tools in the world in my workshop, but if I don't use those tools, then... I've just got a lot of expensive tools in my workshop that are useless. Tools have to be used properly in order for them to be effective. And I really do believe this. All the money in the world cannot make us effective. All the money in the world cannot make us effective. We've got a budget that we believe is, is appropriate. We could have a $20 million budget. And we could have $20 million at our disposal and all the staff's like, yeah, please. <clears throat> But that budget is useless if we don't deploy it, if we don't put it to work. We can have the finest facilities, the best buildings, all those sort of things. But money doesn't make us effective. And money, I'll say this, is useless without willing hearts. As we head into 2023, I've got some very specific challenges for you. One, if you are not involved in a Sunday school class heading into 2023, you need to connect with a small group. You need to connect with a small group. We can help you find a group. If you've got children, that's great. We have Sunday school classes just for kids so that you can go to grown-up Sunday school classes. Your children are an excuse to keep you out of Sunday school. We've got a place for them. Some of you even have the gift of teaching, and you're not teaching. So I would challenge you as you look into the upcoming year, you say, I, I really need to find a Sunday school class. There's no better time than right now to get ready for the next year than to find a Sunday school class. There's a second challenge I have for you that I don't want to hurt your feelings. Understand that I'm sharing what I'm about to share out of love. But it is something that I need to say as we head into this upcoming year. 
Shepherd your children's hearts to love the church. Shepherd your children's hearts to love the church. Again, I'm gonna say this. It's very ironic to me that if a child doesn't like his math homework, what do parents make that child do? Their math homework, right? If a child doesn't like their math homework, parents make the child do the math homework. If a child doesn't feel like going to basketball practice, what do parents make the child do? Go to basketball practice. But if a child doesn't want to go to church, that often means that there's something wrong with the church. Isn't that interesting? That in all the other things in life, parents force the child into those places. And because and we know they understand that doing the math homework and going to practice will make the child better. How is it that when, when church is involved, suddenly it becomes an optional activity? What are we communicating in doing so? And I'll say this, and I really do believe this. If you're not bringing your kids and students to participate in our kids and student ministries, then you are not helping to grow those ministries. And I would go so far as to say you may actually be hindering the growth of those ministries. What do I mean? Real life scenario, third grader shows up on Wednesday night, a little nervous about being here, goes into where the kids are meeting and there's no other third graders in the room. What does that third grader who's a guest think? Well, I don't wanna be here. There's nobody in my school here. There's nobody in my grade here. But what if your third grader's at home that night because they didn't feel like coming to church? Your third grader could have been the, 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 the hook that allows that child to want to be and participate and connect with our children in, the, in that regard. Now, hear me correctly. We want to create inviting, compelling programs for kids. We should not have to build six flags over Jesus to convince Christian families to bring their children to come to church. And I firmly believe that. The way children and youth grow in a church is by families connecting and participating with those programs. And that's a challenge for us going forward into the upcoming year. Thirdly, if you're not actively serving in some capacity, you need to be looking for a way to serve. That doesn't mean you ought to go teach a Sunday school class. Maybe that means you serve as a greeter or a member of our safety team. Maybe that means you join our nursery rotation so that those ladies and gentlemen who are serving back there can be, can be out of there more often. Maybe it means there's a new ministry that God wants you to be instrumental in starting. We're hoping to restart our short-term missions program this year. Maybe serving, leading on a mission trip is what God is dealing with you about. And I would encourage you to be looking for ways to put your hands to the plow for the kingdom in the upcoming year. And then finally, if you're not a member of our church, get off the sidelines and join the family. Get off the sidelines and join the family. We're gonna be having new members classes at the end of January. If you're ready to join before then, I'm happy to schedule a meeting with you to, uh, to advance that. My goal, again, is not to hurt your feelings, but to simply challenge us in some areas where we've gotten very comfortable, indeed even complacent in this COVID season. But more than just picking on us and challenging us, I also want to bless us for the future. I, I, I really believe that God has great things in store for our church if we'll recognize what he's doing. I really believe that, that God is positioning us for some amazing things in coming days. I was driving down 193 the other day on the way to the office, and I was just counting cars 
that were driving down 193 on their way to downtown Chattanooga. And I counted literally hundreds of cars during the span of, of, of time that I was on the road of people going into Chattanooga that are passing right by our church all, every day, all morning. God has positioned our church for some incredible things. Again, we've talked a lot about the growth that's happening in our community, and here's the deal. Nobody's a fan of it. Nobody loves it. I'm sure somebody does. I'm sure builders do, and I'm sure that wherever follow some dollars, and you could probably find some people who are happy about it. But the people who live here, we're not thrilled about it. I live right next door to most of it, and I'm not just overwhelmed with excitement about it. But guess what? Nobody cares that I don't like it. Nobody's come and knocked on my door and said, Pastor, we understand that you're not thrilled about this development that's going in in your neighborhood. We're, we're prepared to stop it for, for you because, because we, we care about you. That has not happened yet. Nobody's knocked on my door. So I understand that it's going to happen whether I like it or not. And so that means that as a resident, I feel one way, but as a pastor, I feel a different way. And so it's okay for us to have mixed responses and it's okay for us to have excitement as a church because of the opportunity that it places before us. And I believe it's foolish if we don't take steps now so that we can be poised and ready to impact this new community. We can look at these new communities and anticipate some things. Here's some things we can anticipate as we look at what's happening. We have a new assisted living home that is moving in. They say this thing's going to potentially be open this summer. It's crazy to see. I mean, it's not even got a roof on it, and they're saying it's going to be open this summer. Man, the opportunity for ministry is vast. This time next year, I anticipate seeing something in the bulletin about students and, and children going caroling in the new assisted living home that's opening up in our backyard. I mean, I see that happening. Um, I, I imagine that some of our senior adults would get together and organize care packages or even lead weekly Bible studies for the residents. I could see that happening. And that, I mean, that, easy. I mean, some of you guys that are, that are senior adults that are free during the day, how amazing would it be for you to get a group together to go over to the assisted living home, sing some hymns, and lead a Bible study for the people who live there? I mean, it doesn't cost anything, but it's a way to care for and minister to the people that God is leading into our community. We have a large apartment complex moving in. We're not 100% sure who's going to move in there because it depends on who you ask is, is, who, is what they tell you who's moving in there. We do understand that they're large apartments, three-bedroom, large apartments that are moving in there. We understand that they're income-adjusted. And so rent is based on the ability of people who live there to pay. Politics aside, you can think what you want to think about it. They're moving in. And we as God's people are called to be a gospel witness for those new neighbors. And so understanding some things about it, I think we can anticipate things like our angel tree is going to have some greater needs based on what we understand there. I mean, I can imagine next summer, I can imagine us hooking up the uh, concession stand trailer that we've got for Upward and pulling in there and passing out ice cream and cooking hot dogs and having a block party for the folks who live there. I mean, easily. I mean, again, that's not hard to imagine at all. Uh, and these are people that are permanent residents in our community. It's not like the homeless population we were trying to care for that was transient and had a season that have moved on. These are people who live here. They're our neighbors, very likely. They're going to be people who are sitting here on Sunday morning in our church. The latest development approved are higher-priced homes and townhomes. The families that live there are going to be looking for opportunities for their children. We're going to need some more coaches in our soccer program because they're going to be looking for opportunities for their kids. We know that those people are going to be hard to reach. 
because they've got a little more money in their pocket. But studies have shown that a family that moves to a new community is more open to spiritual conversations than any other time in their life. And so somebody who moves into a new home is ready to have that church conversation immediately than they are after they've been there for three or four years because they're looking for networks, they're looking for places to connect. That's all happening whether you like it or not, regardless of your opinion about it, it's all happening and it's happening within a five minute drive of this campus on Sunday morning. And the opportunity is vast for our church to be in that unique position. All of this on top of the day-to-day things that we find in our community, the day-to-day struggles, the, the drug problem in our community is real. No churches are really taking it seriously. I mean, we, we have, a, we have a, a, a huge problem with methamphetamines and marijuana and all those kind of drugs that are, that are afflicting our community. It's something for us to consider and take serious. All of this happening right here in our own backyard. And God has positioned our church in such a unique place to be able to make a meaningful impact in that world. Because here's the thing. I don't know about you, one day I want to hear mission accomplished. I do. We've heard different versions of that. Sometimes the biblical version is well done, good and faithful servant. But I want to stand before the Lord and I want the Lord to look at me and say, you did everything I asked you to do. You did everything you could to reach Walker and Catoosa counties with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all. We're not responsible for the results. We're not responsible for the, for the fruit. We're simply responsible for the work. Are we willing to do the work? Are we willing to pass budgets that allow us to do the work? Are we willing to take seriously the commands that God has given to us to accomplish the work that is set before us? We want to be a blessing for the future. And if we're going to do that, we need to think very seriously about what that looks like. You know, I'm convinced the most important thing in our lives is Jesus. It's simple. We got all kinds of priorities, all kinds of things that are demanding of our time. This time of year, we get all kinds of pressures and things that are, that are weighing on us, things that are demanding of our time. But at the end of the day, what matters is not how much money we make or how big our house is. It's really not going to matter how good our kids are at the activities that we invest so much time and effort into making sure they excel at. Because when I die as a father, and Lord willing, as a grandfather, what I want people to say is that my children were faithful. Not that they excelled in their career, that they did awesome on a ball field, or or they did great in the classroom, but that I want to hear that my kids loved and served Jesus. That's what I want to hear. That's what matters most. And how I live my life today will impact that more than anything. And so it simply comes down to an important question. Have you been faithful to Jesus? Been faithful to the work that he's called you to do? Have you been faithful to Jesus in your church? Been faithful to Jesus in your home? In your work? In your school? You may say, Pastor, I haven't always got that right. I've got good news for you. 2022 is almost over, and 2023 is a blank slate, ready for you to write some awesome things for the kingdom of God in the pathway that he's called you to. Would you pray with me, please? 
Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, for Joshua's challenge to these tribes and a whole new life ahead of them, opportunities to shine. We know that if we read ahead, though, that things get off track pretty quickly. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't get off track. I pray that we would recognize that serving you and loving you and honoring you and clinging to your word, those are all things that should define us and ought to characterize us. And if we do those things, we understand that there will be visible evidence of that in our life. It'll be visible in how we serve the church and how we serve the community and, and how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. It'll be evident in those things. And so, God, I pray that as we cling to your word and we see that word bearing fruit in our lives, that we would see it bear fruit in our church as well. Father, as we look forward to this next year, we know that the, uh, the opportunities that you're setting before us as a church are, are incredible. And so, God, I pray that we would not forget what you've called us to do in loving our neighbors and making sure that our neighbors understand Jesus while we also make sure that the nations understand something of the gospel as well. So, Lord, may we be faithful. May you be pleased with us. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to stand together and have a time of invitation. Maybe there's some things that you want to do for the Lord that, that in these moments, you've got two weeks before the, the new year. In these moments, you want to go ahead and begin thinking, Lord, for the next two weeks, let's, let me solidify this. Let me, let, me, let me develop a habit. Let me set a plan. Let me, let me figure out what that's going to look like. And, and go ahead and begin thinking through that and praying through that. Maybe you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus today. I want to give you that opportunity as well. We're going to sing and respond as the Lord leads. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.